Um, the scripture we're going to read today is pretty meaty and hearty, but before we get into that, I want to wish our oldest son, Reese, turns 13 today, and I know Dana Altman turns maybe 16 or 17, can't remember, and I think there's another birthday, too. Is there somebody else that has a birthday today? No? Nobody wants to speak of it? So if you see those two, wish them a happy birthday. Um, we are in Romans today. It can be found in your Pew Bible on page 1747. Like I said, it's pretty meaty. It's kind of a heavy one. So I would encourage you to follow along. Um, there's a lot in this passage. And uh, yeah, so I'll give you a moment to find that. It's Romans 1, 18 through 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, been understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they know God... They neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish, foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves a due penalty for the perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, they disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those do, who do such things deserve death, they do not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Thank you, Meredith. Uh, just a reminder, there is an outline in your bulletin if you care to follow that. Uh, there, there is, as Meredith said, a lot in this passage, and we will do the best we can to, to uh, highlight th the main points. Um, very sobering passage, <clears throat> but a very foundational one. So let's, uh, before we start, <clears throat> let's have a, a moment of uh, silence and prepare ourselves to reflect on this word. Let's pray.
Amen. <clears throat> in my family growing up, anger was expressed in two very contrasting ways by my parents. My dad was a man who exercised a lot of self-control, and he tended to internalize his anger. But make no mistake, you knew when he was mad. He had those nonverbal expressions. He had a certain look that he gave you, or he would withdraw into silence. My mother, on the other hand, when she was angry, it erupted like a volcano and spewed like lava. She communicated her anger with her voice. She yelled, often very loud and long. So one parent expressed their anger more subtly, maybe passive-aggressively, and the other very clearly and aggressively. Now for me, I've followed, for the most part, my father's example, except when I'm alone. Maybe I'll yell at the wall or at the cat. You didn't hear that, Sue. <laughs> Anger is a legitimate human emotion. And there are things we should be angry about. Ephesians 4 tells us to be angry, but do not sin in your anger. And do not let the sun go down in your anger. In other words, you need to manage it correctly and resolve it before bedtime. Now, is anger, though, just a human emotion? Does God get mad? What is God's anger like? And what does he get angry about? In Romans 1, verse 18, Paul speaks of God's wrath. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word wrath, I think of someone who is in a rage, bordering on being out of control. When you hear the phrase, the wrath of God, what thoughts do you have? What kind of feelings did you, do you experience? I googled the wrath of God and I found this picture. Picture of his fists crushing down on the earth. Maybe that's your image. Or you may think of fire and brimstone. Raining, God raining down his judgment. We usually think of this wrath of God coming at the, the end of time, at the final judgment. But the picture we get of the wrath of God in Romans 1 is very different. Paul says in verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men. In other words, God's wrath is being revealed now, in the present time, not later. It comes upon human beings today. And his wrath is expressed quite differently than the picture of a fist coming down on the earth and fire and brimstone that we see in pictures. Now last week, 
we saw Paul introducing himself and how he wants to communicate his understanding of the Christian gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. But in order for the church in Rome and for us to understand the good news, we have to understand the bad news. It's like when you go to the jewelry store and the jeweler wants to show you a diamond. And she will take out a black cloth and put the diamond on that black cloth so that the brilliance of the diamond will be highlighted. Well, that's what Paul is doing here in the rest of chapter 1 and chapter 2. He lays out the black, dark background of human sin and God's judgment upon it in order to have us understand the glory of the gospel. So to understand this passage, we're going to first begin with the reason for God's wrath. Why does he get mad? And secondly, the nature of his wrath. What does it look like? So let's begin with what brings about God's wrath. What does he get mad about? Well, here we see the Bible reveal a deadly chain reaction, which is the title of our message. What Paul describes is a progression of godlessness, which is living as if God does not exist, and wickedness, which is disobedience to God's law and God's design. When human beings are, who are created in the image and likeness of God decide that they're going to live as if God does not exist and that there are no rules, a deadly, destructive chain reaction occurs. The first thing that happens is we, Paul says in verse 18, suppress the truth. We suppress the truth about our Creator. He goes on to say that everybody knows there's a God. It is clear, it is plain in creation. God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made. The majesty and mystery of the universe reveals to us the existence, the power, the beauty, the nature of our Creator. So what, what do we do when we don't want there to be a God? What do we do when we want we don't want anyone there to have to answer to. The Bible says what we do is suppress. We deny, we squash the reality of God. Now this, of course, is what atheists do. But you don't have to be an atheist to suppress the truth about God. You can say you believe in God. But if you live and act as if he doesn't exist, you can deny and ignore his reality. You can just pretend he's not there. Paul elaborates in verse 21 when he says, We suppress the truth by not giving him glory as God. We don't give him the credit. We don't honor him. 
We disrespect Him. We despise Him. And then another way is we don't give thanks to Him for the gift of life and all His provision. And then we let our thinking become futile and our hearts to become darkened. It's like um, public figures who try to cover up truth about their negative past. We try to cover up and suppress the truth about the Creator, that He is God, that He deserves glory and thanks. Human beings have chosen to be self-sufficient. We want to be disconnected and unrestrained from God's truth. We want to make our own decisions. We want to live the way we want. In other words, we want to be God. We want to think and pretend that we're in control. So we suppress and deny the truth. And we do it on a personal level. We do it on a national level. We do it in a universal way. But when we do this, what happens is we create a vacuum. We create an empty space. And, and, and vacuums get filled. Empty spaces get filled. So the next step in the progression the chain reaction of godlessness and wickedness is we exchange. We make an exchange between the glory and the truth of God for a lie. We replace the truth with what we want to be true. We redefine things. We find alternative ways to explain creation. We make all kinds of justifications for doing what we want to do. Even when there are things that are clearly unnatural to how we have been created and how God has revealed Himself in His Word. Have you ever, have you ever used the phrase, yes, but? Yes, God says we should forgive, but... He doesn't know how badly I was hurt and how mean that other person is. Yes, the Bible tells us we should tithe and give of our finances, but man, God doesn't know how hard it is to make a living. We could go on and on. You fill in the blank. Yes, God says this, but. And we excuse ourselves. And when we do that, we are exchanging. We are trading the truth for a lie, for something false, for propaganda. We reject the truth and then we have to replace it. Now part of that exchange, verse 25, tells us that we create our own gods. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. So when we reject God, we need to replace Him with something else. And what we replace Him with is called idolatry. You see, there's this God-shaped vacuum in every one of us. And when we remove the person that is rightfully belongs there and reject Him and suppress Him, then we've got to fill it with something else. 
Now, there's two kinds of idolatry. There's crude idolatry and cultured idolatry. Crude idolatry is real primitive. It's where you take physical images, make a mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles and set them up and worship them. Or worship the sun and worship the moon. Cultured idolatry is the worship of wealth and success and athletics and physical beauty and, and music and, and sex and power. And, you know, we don't make idols out of wood and stone. We make them out of, out of people and, and cars and houses and celebrities. And most of all, we worship ourselves. So we worship what we want, what we can control, what we can manage. So we suppress the truth, then we exchange the truth, and the next thing in the progression is we live out the lie. We live out the lie which is described in verses 26 through 32. And it begins as it always seems to with sexual immorality. And then regresses in, into perversions and then into the lists that he makes in verses 29 through 31 with evil and greed and arrogance and envy and murder, strife, deceit, malice. And then he says we hate God. When we reject God from his rightful place and we replace him with idols, then sin is given full expression. It comes to be seen for what it is in our choices, our lifestyles, our behaviors. Now all of this rejecting and replacing God in our lives points to the fundamental sin of humankind, rejecting our Creator. Rejecting God as God. This is our root problem. It's the ultimate cause of all human problems. Paul claims that this rejection of the Creator is universal. Everyone does it. It is deliberate. It's on purpose. It's not an accident. And it's inexcusable. There's no excuse. And this is what God's wrath is directed toward. This is what makes him angry. We repress and we reject and we replace reality. In a sense, we spit in his face. And as a result, we twist and distort and damage and pervert God's beautiful creation and his purposes for human life. And we bring endless, unlimited suffering and injustice and incompleteness and deficiency and brokenness into God's world. And God is angry. And that brings us then to the nature of God's wrath. Again, what comes to your mind when you hear that phrase? The wrath of God. Fire and brimstone, the plagues that came upon Egypt, or the scrolls and seals of the book of Revelation, the lake of fire, the torment in hell. 
Well, God's judgments, especially his eternal and final judgment, contains these kinds of punishments. But what Paul means by God's wrath in Romans 1.18 is very different. And we need to pay attention to it. We can think of God's wrath and judgment as something far off. But there is something that's happening now. And three times he uses the phrase to describe it as he gave them over. Verse 24, Therefore, because of our repression and rejection and replacement of God, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 26, Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Verse 28, Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Friends, those four words, God gave them over, are the most chilling words of judgment. And what it simply means is he removes his hand of restraint and he allows us to do what we want and to experience the consequences. God allows us to persist in rejecting him and to go our own way and to reap what we sow. The irony is that this judgment of wrath is precisely what we fight for because we want, ever since Adam and Eve, to be free of God. We want to push him out of our lives. We want to push him out of our world. We want him to leave us alone so we can get on with our lives and do what we want to do and live the way we want. And so, God gives us what we want. He gives us over to what we want and the consequences. Or as verse 27 says, to receive the penalty of their error. And he's not talking about the future. He's talking about now. And our problem is, what we think we want doesn't turn out the way we anticipate. It actually turns out the reverse. We think we'll be more happy and be more true to ourselves and more free if we get God out of the picture. But the results are misery, we lose our true identity, we lose our true purpose for life, and we become in bondage and enslaved to sin. God gives us over to the spiritual laws of the universe. For example, and Paul refers to this, but the sexual revolution. We have been in a sexual revolution since the French Revolution. And, and it's based on the belief that in order to be fully human and to have full 
expression of human potential and fulfillment, we have to be unrestrained sexually. We must be able to have full sexual expression. And so that means being free of all restraints. And, and the Freudians say, then we will achieve mental health. There was an early sociologist, an immigrant, actually he was an exile from Russia, came to the United States, Pitarim Sorokin. He wrote a book back in the 60s, The American Sex Revolution, and he makes a case and he points out how sexual immorality leads to mental breakdown. It leads to cultural breakdown. Not the other way around, the way the Freudian psychologists tell us. In giving us over to depraved minds, we begin to think what is bad is good. And what is good is bad. And not only that, Paul says, we begin to approve it and to celebrate what is evil. If you look at that cluster, that catalog of 21 sins listed in verse 28 through 32, you see the breakdown of family and human relationships. You see expressions of extreme pride and arrogance. You see extreme forms of vices like libel and slander. And Paul even throws in there, they invent ways to be evil. And then he ends, sums it up with their senseless, heartless, faithless, and ruthless. And verse 32 concludes with what I believe is a description of insanity. He says, although they know God's righteous decrees, that those who do such things deserve death, even though they know all that, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. In other words, we know the difference between right and wrong, and we choose to keep doing it even though it is self-destructive. That is insane. God's wrath, God's anger is giving us over to our own self-destruction. God's wrath is in the present. It's in the now. He gives us over to the consequences of our suppressing and replacing the truth to experience the results. Jesus spoke to this in a story. Remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. The younger son comes to his father. He says, I don't want to have to wait till you die to get my inheritance. I want it now. I'm leaving this family. I'm out of the business. I'm going to do my own thing. And that's what the father does. The father gives his son what he wants. He gives him over to his choices. And as you know in the story, the son ends up losing all his inheritance and he ends up eating food he feeds to the pigs. This is what God does with all of us. Individually, as families, as churches, 
as nations, as the world. This is the bad news. But friends, embedded in the bad news is the love of God. Because the first step in finding God's mercy and God's grace is to admit our need and to recognize the deadly chain reaction of when we suppress and ignore God. Before we can escape the mess we're in, we must know how we got ourselves into it and face the facts without any excuses. All our troubles start within our own hearts. Once our hearts refuse to love and worship and thank and acknowledge God, our heads begin to suppress what we know is true about God and then our hands start doing things that show us how far we are from Him. And you can do, all this can happen even if you believe in God. The big question this morning is, do you live and do I live and do we relate and function and make decisions as if God does not exist? God gives us over to reap what we sow so that we will hit the bottom and come back. And come back to Him just like the prodigal son did. The ultimate immorality is ignoring the Creator in our everyday life and suppressing the truth that we find inconvenient. And you know what? Paul's not done here showing us the darkness of our sin. In chapter 2, he starts going after people who are very principled and very moral. And then in chapter 3, he takes up everyone who's religious. And he says, all of you are without excuse. But his goal, his goal is to show us the solution is the good news in Jesus Christ as he says in his introduction in chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Hope and freedom comes in a restored relationship through Jesus Christ. That gospel in a nutshell. That gospel breaks the deadly and destructive chain reaction of rebellion from God that leads to His wrath. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us our deep and profound need for you in the places where there is godlessness and wickedness, where we suppress you and your truth, where we exchange your glory for self-serving lives and the chain reaction of living them out. Lord, we confess that we are without excuse. Father, may the places where we as individuals or as a church or as a nation have been given over to our sin, 
our lusts, our depravity, our pride. Drive us back to the cross where we can find forgiveness and deliverance and reconciliation with you through our Savior Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.